Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. This morning we're going to do our final session of a series where we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. And uh, before we start, I thought it would be good to do a bit of a recap so that we can see how the rest of the prayer is tied together before we look at this final phrase. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And we've already heard this morning in that passage that Heather shared where it says, and the increase of his government, there will be no end. There will be no end to the scale and the scope of Christ's kingdom. But some weeks ago we started off and we looked first of all at the pleasure of prayer. And we talked about prayer being at three different levels. Can anyone remember what those three levels were? I'll give you a hint. They all started with the letter D. Desire. There was another one before we got to delight. Discipline and delight. We looked at desire, first of all, how God actually places in us a desire to know him. And it's there, even in non-Christians, actually. And it's why they seek things and they chase after crystals and things that they think will be the answer. But as we recognise it, And as we start to pray, God continues to develop that desire in us so that we can move up a level. And that second level is discipline. And that's the hard one. It's where we have to apply ourselves to prayer and do it even when we're not sure we really feel like it so that we can reach the third level, which is the point at which prayer becomes a delight where it becomes a natural part of our life. So the question is, through all these weeks we've been looking at prayer, have you been applying it? Oh dear. Yeah. Because the thing about prayer is you can read a book on it, And it doesn't make necessarily any difference at all. It's one of those things you have to do. If you don't apply what you learn, it doesn't make any difference. Mind you, there's a lot of things that's true about. You can buy a car, a a car manual, and if you don't actually apply it, it doesn't mean your car will get fixed. So it's something we need to do. And then we looked at how the discipline side of prayer was often about finding the right time the right place, and then getting on and doing it. There's a quote, someone said, there is the agony of choice before the promise of change. The agony of choice before the promise of change. You have to go through that pain of making a decision before you come into what is promised. And we need to make that decision. 
We need to ask God to provoke us to pray more. So that as we pray with more and more faith and with more and more revelation, that the delight in prayer will take us further. And that's what we've got to be expecting. More desire leading to more discipline and then on to more delight in God's presence. And then over the following weeks, we started to focus on the model of prayer that Jesus gave us. He laid it out in a pattern, and we've looked at it phrase by phrase. We read about it in Matthew 6, verse 9 onwards. He said, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We looked at our Father in heaven. How firstly, we need to come before God as our Father and remember that prayer is about a relationship. It's about a conversation. It's two-way communication with God. But as we do that, as we come before God, we need to remind ourselves that he is our Father. But also that he's in heaven and he is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And we looked at how through the death of Jesus, we have that privilege of walking straight into God's throne room. The way is open for us to come before him and then to start worshipping him by saying, hallowed is your name. And we looked at the various names of God and how as we declare God to be who he is, it has an impact on our lives. As we call out Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, that's what he becomes in our life. He becomes peace manifested within us. As we declare him to be the Lord our healer, his healing presence is released in our life. As we declare him to be Jehovah Shammah, the Lord who is there, guess what happens? He manifests himself in our lives. And as we hallow him, we honour him for who he is. So we come before him as father, we enter his throne room, and then we begin to worship him with our spirits. And we do what Jesus said, hallow his name. And now that I'm there, I'm standing in his presence, I'm at a point where I can start to do some real heavenly business. I can start working with the Holy Spirit and praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And we saw how there are many situations which are currently not under the rule and reign of God. We looked at how we need to pray over our lives that his kingdom of love, of peace, of righteousness and joy would be established in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we need to pray for our own life. Today, Lord, let everything I do be under your will. We need to pray for our families. 
Lord, that your righteousness, peace and joy be evident in their lives too. For the church, for certain people, for the leaders, that they would know his will. For our friends, for those who aren't saved, that they would see God's kingdom demonstrated right in front of them. For where we work and for the world, that God's rule would start to prevail. For our towns, our city, our nation. Because this is one of the jobs that the church is here on earth to do, to bring in God's kingdom. And then we can turn to our own needs and we can start to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And we looked at how we can pray for God's provision in our life day by day as we have needs. But how it's best to be bold, to be specific and be persistent in what we're asking God for. Then we spent a week looking at what's probably the most important phrase in this prayer. So important that Jesus reinforced it again at the end. Forgive us as we forgive others. We saw how we need to ask God to shine a light into our lives. To search us, to show us where we've done wrong. And then we need to come before him and confess our sins and receive his forgiveness and cleansing. And as we're forgiven, God also puts in us the grace to start to forgive the people who have hurt us or sinned against us. We have to remember, we need to exercise that grace in the same order it was given to us. And then a few weeks back, we looked at how we need to walk in victory day by day. By praying, lead me not into temptation. Keep me away from the things that will harm me. Deliver me from the trials and temptations in this life. So that I can walk in freedom, grow to maturity by claiming the power of the blood of Jesus. By walking with the Holy Spirit and by putting on the full armour of God. And so now we come to the final part of this prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. If you go right back to the beginning, that second week, how did this prayer start? It started with praise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it ends... For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now some translations don't actually have this phrase, because it's only in some of the original texts. They have it in the footnotes instead, at the bottom of the page. So some would argue that this phrase was added by the early church. But even if that's the case, isn't it a terrific way to end this prayer? Just as we started it in praise. Start with praise and end with praise. So we're going to look at it as God's word for us today. For yours is the kingdom. 
What does it mean? It means quite simply that we recognise that all rule and all authority actually comes from God. Sometimes when we pray, it doesn't seem like things are immediately changing. Have you ever found that? Yeah? But this is the part of the prayer where whatever is going on around us, we start to trust in God and to exercise faith. Because we say, for yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power and the glory. It's the point where we're saying, well, I've come to you, I've praised you, I've asked, I've forgiven, I'm walking in your protection, but now I want to acknowledge that I recognise that you are in charge, you are in control. You're the one who is best able to decide what, where and why. Why? Because you are the sovereign ruler of everything. And I know your eternal kingdom is going to come. So I trust you. I trust you in everything, even when I don't understand what I see going on around me. Because yours is the kingdom. All rule and authority comes from you. For yours is the power. It means that all might and anointing flows from God. God's kingdom is manifested on this earth and made known through two things. His authority and his power. And the amazing thing is, God gives us a share in that. He allows us to be channels of his power. So that we can touch the lives of others. But we should still acknowledge that ultimately it comes from him. Yours is the power. It all flows from you. If I'm able to do any good at all, it is only because your power has been released in my life. Yours is the power. It's a position of humility at the end of this prayer. For yours is the glory. It's about recognising that actually all honour belongs to him. Though during our lives we may have seen great things and we may have had great times, we have to remind ourselves ultimately all glory belongs to God. He is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the creator without whom none of us would even be here. Anything we achieve is only because of him. And so it's right that all the glory should go to him. There's something about this very final statement at the end of the prayer that puts us in an attitude of surrender and trust. So we finish our prayer time, having done battle, having played our part, with a sense of, well, God, 
You are in charge. I just want to pick up something on that very last phrase. It's actually all about worship. And so I want to just spend a moment looking at seven things that worship needs to be. The first is it should be focused on God. That's how it's got to be. If it's not focused on God, it's not true worship. We read in Revelation 4, starting at verse 8, Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and was covered with eyes all around, even under the wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you have created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That's how worship should be, with the throne of God at the centre. The second thing worship needs to be is it needs to be honouring to God. In that first verse, Revelation 4.8, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And again in verse 11, You are worthy. You are worthy, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honour and power. And let me tell you, that worship has already started. It's going on in the heavens now. The third thing it needs to be is passionate. In verse 10 in that passage, it says the 24 elders fall down before him. If you look further on in Revelation, in in, uh, chapter 7, verse 11, it talks about the angels and it says, they were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. When you look back through the Old Testament, there are all sorts of things that happened in worship. Some that we understand and some that are beyond me, if I'm honest. Worship was with the lifting of hands. It was with dancing. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought back, David was so excited, he stripped down to his undies and was dancing in the streets. So much so that Michael looked out of the window and said, What are you doing? You're a king. How undignified is that? And he said, I'll be more undignified than this for my God. In the Old Testament, they fell prostrate on the ground before their God. 
at some of the offerings. It says they took the lamb and presented it as a wave offering. Now what's that all about? Did they take a leg of lamb and wave it? I don't know. Right. But such was their enthusiasm, they offered everything to God. And in Romans 12, it says we should be offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Because that's our worship. Sometimes I think we need to lose a bit of our dignity. So it's God-centred, it honours God, it's passionate. The fourth one is it's loud. If you don't like loud music, you're going to hate heaven. I'm sorry, because it's loud. Do you know, it says in heaven there was a half hour's silence. Now that was so unusual, they wrote about it. Now, if it, if it was quiet all the time, you wouldn't make an observation, and there was half an hour's silence. The rest of the time, there is noise. Loud worship is going on. It says, God speaks with a loud voice. It talks about the angels, and it says they've got loud voices. In Revelation 5.12, it says, in a loud voice they sang. In Revelation 14, verse 2, it says it's like the roar of rushing waters and a loud peal of thunder. Does that sound very British? In Revelation 19, verse 6, it says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing water and the loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For the Lord God Almighty reigns. That's what angels do. Angels spend their time shouting God's praise. They're so caught up with who God is, who's at the centre of everything, that they can't restrain themselves. They don't spend their time sat down trying to look dignified or cool. That's the kind of worship God enjoys. And so when you get near the throne, your focus suddenly changes. I don't know if I feel like it today. I'm a bit tired. I think I'm just going to sit this one out. It's not what the angels do. Naturally, they shout... God's praise, because it would be undignified to do anything else. The fifth point is, it's filled with music. Well, anyway, it says there's a lot of harps. Okay? That passage from Revelation 14 and I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and a peal of loud thunder the sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps now I can't quite imagine how harpists can sound like a peal of thunder but I'm sure it's going to be great and do you know what all of us are going to be in the worship group 
Yeah. Now, Mel's going to have a hard time about that. <laughs> I'm not sure Melk is going to enjoy being in heaven. Although, actually, I have a feeling, even Melk, who has been known to say, I'm not always that much into worship, I think will be so caught up with who God is and being in his presence, he'll be caught up in it. The sixth thing is worship is something that unites. It's something for everyone that brings us together. In Revelation 5 verse 13 it says, When I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Every creature. And the seventh point is, it's going to be eternal. It's going to go on and on and on forever and ever. For yours is the kingdom power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So why does this prayer start with praise and end with praise as well? I looked at this and I think there's a definite reason. When we get to heaven, we won't need to ask for forgiveness because there'll be no more sin. We won't need the grace to forgive others, because they'll be perfect too. We won't need protection from temptation or the devil, because he won't be there. He would have been dealt with. We won't be praying for the kingdom to come, because it will have been fully established. We won't need intercession. Now I know some great prayer warriors. But actually they're going to be out of a job in heaven. I don't know if they'll know what to do with themselves. Because if you haven't got people to intercede for, oh, have to get into the worship I suppose. We won't need to pray for our needs. Because actually they will all be met. So if you take those elements out of the Lord's Prayer, you're left with, Our Father in Heaven, hallowed be your name. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. It says in Revelation 7 verse 12, They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory, wisdom and thanks, honour, power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen.
Jesus, my God. Just going to put on a short presentation called That's My King. And then we're just going to pray. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 